Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Amafidon. Thanks for tuning in. This morning, Mayor Wu joined Starbucks workers on the picket line at 874 Commonwealth Ave. Starbucks employees have been on strike since last week due to retaliatory measures of the location's manager, who has routinely understaffed shifts and cut workers' hours. Workers believe these actions are in response to the ComAv employees voting to unionize in early June. Nearly 200 Starbucks have voted to unionize across the U.S. for better wages and work conditions. The biggest reason that we're out here is that um, is the behavior of the manager that they brought in as soon as we uh, decided to unionize. Uh, she's been cutting our hours so people can't pay their bills. She's been understaffing shifts so um, people like Nora and I have to skip our breaks just to get everything done um, and like get out at a reasonable hour. She's been um, threatening to fire people for um, not having enough availability, but at the same time, she is uh, not willing to give anybody the hours that they need to pay their bills. When there's only two of us working against 40 customers uh, within a half hour time, it's not efficient and it's, uh, it overworks us. We're exhausted. We can't do our best. We can't bring our best selves. We can't be positive in the workplace. Uh, it, it's, it ruins the, the neighborhood vibe that Starbucks has been trying to put out into the world. The fact that they would rather spend their profits, the millions of dollars on anti-union lawyers to bust unions, the fact that they would rather save some money on your safety and working conditions rather than prioritizing the health and well-being, which actually makes the company better as well, what they are doing is standing in the way of our city's legacy. Boston has always stood up when we see bullies. Boston has always stood up when we see those fighting to continue inequities. And we're going to stand up again here to make sure that at this Starbucks and all across the country that we support your, your organizing efforts and that we are supporting your leadership. This is Faith Amaphidon with BNN News, and I am here outside of the Boys and Girls Club on Blue Hill and Talbot Ave on International Self-Care Day. Now, Blue Cross Blue Shield is giving Boston residents unlimited two-hour rides all day in the name of mental health. Now, I haven't been on a bike for some time, but this is an offer too good to pass up. Getting my hands on a bike was easy. With over 4,000 bikes spread over 11 municipalities, Blue Bikes has you covered wherever you may be in Boston. My Sunday ride began by downloading the Blue Bikes mobile app, selecting the Adventure Pass, and finally entering promo code BLUESELFCARE. After unlocking my bike through the app, then entering my key code on the physical pad, my joyride was underway. Since May 2018, Blue Cross Blue Shield has offered free bike rides for self-care as a Blue Bikes title sponsor. Self-care activities have been shown to benefit mental health by reducing stress. A recent study found that two-thirds of respondents who prioritize self-care experience increased productivity, happiness, and self-confidence. Sometimes being outside and in motion is the best medicine. Can you tell me a little bit about your, your bike ride today? It was a great day. It's really a heat wave this weekend, so it's really nice to go outside, get some exercise, now that the shade is out, and feel the breeze on my skin. And for self-care, what are some things that you do to take care of yourself? 
other than going outside, doing exercise, mental health, you know, just taking time to relax. Blue Cross Blue Shield is continuing to shine a light on self-care by inviting riders to post a self-care selfie and tag Blue Bikes on Instagram or Twitter. Participants will receive one month of Blue Bikes membership on Blue Cross for themselves or a friend. Self-care selfies must be posted by July 31st. In a step forward for housing equity, Senator Lydia Edwards in the Massachusetts Senate passed the Housing Opportunity and Mobility with Eviction Ceiling, or HOMES Act, on last Thursday with bipartisan support. Housing is human Evictions in Boston are on the rise. Between 2010 and 2019, property owners filed over 50,000 evictions. As new residents move to the Boston area and developers drive up the price of land, many property owners are taking advantage by selling apartments as condos or charging higher rents. This often means evicting current tenants. Evictions disproportionately affect communities of color and women with children. The Homes Act allows individuals to seal certain evictions. Once sealed, eviction records cannot be used to determine credit scores or bar one's ability to gain affordable housing. This is a huge win for those in need of a housing second chance. This is the second time the bill has been passed. It will next go to Governor Charlie Baker for approval. So to keep the housing conversation going, uh, Emilio Dorsley is the CEO of Urban Edge, an organization based in the heart of Eggleston Square dedicated to strengthening communities and families. In partnership with communities it serves, Urban Edge builds affordable housing and vibrant, prosperous neighborhoods. Emilio possesses three decades of community development experience, strategic partnerships, and innovative thinking on structural change and strengthening neighborhoods in New York and Boston. In our conversation, Emilio discussed Urban Edge's exciting strategic plan that's underway. Take a look. So Urban Edge is a nonprofit organization located in Roxbury um, in Jackson Square. And people commonly refer to us as a community development organization because as part of our mission is to revitalize and support communities. And we do that through a number of different ways. Uh, one, we develop affordable housing. Uh, we also work with individuals around um, building um, their financial wealth, uh, primarily through home ownership and helping them, um, you know, better take care of their finances. And then we have our community engagement department that works closely with the residents who live in the properties that we've developed. We, we have over 1,400 units that we've developed over the years, um, and they're located in Roxbury, Jamaica Plain, Dorchester, and Mattapan. And then we also work with a whole range of community-based organizations to promote and, and create activities in the community to help support people in need. Oh, wonderful. And I love how Urban Edge is in the heart of Roxbury as well. Um, and you talked about affordable housing. How is Urban Edge contributing to making affordable housing more possible in Boston? So I think um, really in two ways. One is about preserving existing affordable housing and developing new affordable housing. So when we talk about preserving, um, obviously there's existing buildings, but I also think about that in the work that we do, um, our community programs that does a lot of work with people who are at risk of foreclosure. So for years we have helped individuals 
uh, to save their homes by working with them and their servicer or whoever owns the mortgage to try to help them um, sustain their home. As you know, home ownership, especially for low to moderate income individuals, is a is a big challenge right now. And so, not only is it important to be able to create new homeowners, but it's equally important to make sure that the people who are current homeowners um, can continue to be homeowners. So I know we partnered with the city of Boston um, and they, you know, where they have some um, federal dollars. And so far through that program, we have given out about $300,000 uh, to help individuals, um, you know, avoid foreclosure. That's incredible. I'm sure that amount is going such a long way to keep people in their homes, as you said. So home ownership is one of the crucial ways that a lot of families are building general wealth, um, generational wealth. Um, and it's been historically difficult for uh, families of color. So mm -hmm. what other ways is Urban Edge helping individuals uh, bridge that generational gap? Sure. You know, one of the things that we like to say at Urban Edge is that home ownership is crucial. It is still the number one way that Americans build wealth. But we also know that it's not the only way. And we, you know, through our new strategic plan, have redoubled our efforts and support for helping to make sure that low to moderate income individuals have an opportunity to become homeowners by providing and developing a whole new range of programming and offerings, um, such as additional down payment assistance, opportunities for them to build their credit. Um, and even an emergency fund so that when folks who are in the process of becoming a first time home buyer have some um, last minute um, you know, obstacle that comes in the way that we can also help to support them in being able to do that. You, you spoke briefly about the strategic plan at uh, yeah. Urban Edge. I know in May you had your community event where you officially announced it. Would you mind uh, sharing more details about what it is and how it will impact the residents of Boston? Sure. So our strategic plan, we spent uh, most of 2020 and part of 2021 um, basically reaching out to all of our different stakeholders, working with our board, our staff, our funders, government agencies to really get an understanding of the challenges of the folks in our communities and the communities that we care about were facing overall. And what we did was that from that, we developed uh, what we call a set of strategic pillars that were meant to really identify and focus on the areas where we think that we can make the biggest difference and have the greatest impact. And so um, what we did was we have five pillars. One is really around vulnerable populations uh, with a focus currently on seniors and youth and really providing them the support that they need to be able to thrive. Two is the wealth building, which I'll talk a little bit more about, um, which is really about making sure that we're targeting um, individuals and helping them build wealth, whether it be through home ownership or through other mechanisms. Three is really about focusing more on housing affordability. As I mentioned before, one of the things that we're known for is for developing affordable housing. So we wanna really redouble those efforts. And the last one was really around community building because part of what we know is that any community or neighborhood that's going to thrive, you really have to work with community members and residents to make sure that they have an opportunity to amplify their voices because it shouldn't just be organizations like Urban Edge that are telling what the community wants. It should be the community itself. 
that is advocating and communicating to elected and to other folks who have um, who are in decision making you know positions to be able to articulate what they want to see their community. And so what we did is when we created those pillars, we said there was a need to create a fifth one, which was really around racial equity, saying that all these things and these strategies that we talked about, if they're not centered around racial equity, then they're not going to have the intended goal that we want. Because when we look at the folks who come to us and who live in the neighborhoods that we serve, um, uh, primarily of the 600 folks, 600 individuals that I mentioned who come to our first time home buying class, for example, uh, well over 85, almost 90% of them are people of color. Wow. Um, when you look at the 1400 units of housing, affordable housing we've developed, you know, well over 90% identify as people of color. And so we're very committed to making sure that our programming is not only targeted to helping people um, thrive and build a thriving community, but also takes into account what are the specific and particular needs of people of color and what are the barriers that are unique to them that we can make sure that we're trying to address. Um, that's so beautiful. And I, I really appreciate how you talk about it's a it's a partnership with the communities themselves. Yes. You're you're taking in their input um, as you go in and help buy buildings and renovate them and keep the residents there and upgrade them to um, better housing, which I think is fabulous. So uh, in terms of the projects that you've completed, mm -hmm. Holzer um, Park is one of the, the latest housing developments you've done. Can you tell me more about how this project came to fruition and the communities that were served in its completion? Sure. So Holzer Park is one of our newest projects that we just completed. Actually, we have, um, you know, residents are moving in as we speak. Uh, we hope over the next two or three months, uh, the building will be full. So Holzer Park is a 62-unit new construction building. Um, it's uh, four to five stories. And what we did was really target um, what people call the lower tier of the affordable need, which is that what people often refer to the 30% area me medium income and the 60% area medium income. And just to translate that, really what that means is that when people say 30% AMI, it's typically for a family of two that makes below $34,000. And then 60% is typically a family of two that makes below 67,000. So as you can imagine, these are individuals that most likely would not be able to afford to find something on the regular market to be able to rent based on their income. And so what we found was that this is where there was the greatest need. And when we do our community meetings, when we're thinking about doing a project, we like to get feedback from the community itself to say, hey, what is it that you think we should be doing? And we heard uh, you know, resoundingly that the need for deeper levels of affordability was what the community wanted. And part of what makes Holter's part interesting is that it's not a singular project. It was actually part of a master planning process where um, Urban Edge, two other community development organizations, the Community Builders and Jamaica Plain Development um, you know, Corporation um, applied and worked with the Boston Public Housing Authority on a six acre set of land to be able to develop uh, both new construction 
projects and also to renovate existing ones. And so there's also several buildings um, in addition to Holster Park that are part of that larger master planning project that are in construction right now. So we're very happy. But in addition to Holster, we still have a number of projects that are either in construction now or about to start construction. So a lot of big things in store at Urban Edge and uh, wonderful things for uh, the participants and our um, our renters. So for viewers who want to learn more about Urban Edge and take part in the services, how can they do that? Sure. We encourage everyone to visit our website, um, www.urbanedge.org. Um, we're also, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, you know, our offices are located at um, 1542 Columbus Ave, uh, only a few blocks away from the Jackson Square uh, T-Station. So we encourage everyone, um, if you look at our website, there's opportunities to sign up for classes, uh, find out more about um, any lotteries that are happening for any of the affordable housing. And also, if you're interested in applying for an existing uh, building and want to get on the waiting list, um, there's information on how to contact our property manager, uh, Wind Management. Wonderful. Emilio Dorsley, CEO of Urban Edge, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure. For today's Talk of the Town, I bring you two offerings. Mayor Michelle Wu and the Office of Tourism, Sports and Entertainment announced the city's summer dance party series on City Hall Plaza, which starts on Friday, July 29th at 5 p.m. This family-friendly event series featuring salsa, kazomba, R&B, and house music is open to the public. For more information, boston.gov forward slash visiting Boston. And finally, this Saturday, July 30th, Bostonians can enjoy Dudley Jazz Fest from 12 to 6 p.m. at the Mary Hannon Playground. Performers include Bill Lowe, Beacon Bop from UMass Boston, and Fred Woodard. More information can be found at creativeculturalarts.org. Sounds like a great time. Music producer, educator, scholar, entrepreneur, Jeremy Groover Flores began her musical journey as one of the charter students of the Ruth Hamilton Elta Garrett Music and Arts Academy. Today, Groover serves proudly as the executive director of Hamilton Garrett Music and Arts and looks forward to realizing the organization's mission to developing Boston's next generation of innovative artists through the celebration and preservation of black music. BNN News' Mike Monahan had the pleasure of talking with Jeremy. Check out their conversation. Jeremy Groover, thanks so much for taking the time to, to hang out with us today at BNN. Well, thank you, Mike, for having me. It's truly a pleasure. Absolutely. Um, one thing I, I wanted to ask, um, as someone who was deeply ingrained um, in music and the arts in your youth, can you talk about one of the first times you realized that this was the path that you wanted to pave for yourself so early on? That is a great question, and that is a question that I often think about um, as I do this work each day. You know, that first moment for me had to be as young as I was maybe three years old, wow. um, growing up in, in the church that my dad pastored and hearing those church musicians playing often, you know, throughout the service and even jamming a little bit after service. And I just remember that feeling of the excitement of going to church on Sunday mornings, not really to hear the word, but really to listen to the musicians 
the, the organist, the pianist, and even um, the, the folks who were singing in the choir. And, um, you know, I knew that that was something that I was interested in. And it was the Hamilton Garrett Music and Arts Academy, believe it or not, that gave me that chance, that opportunity to learn um, not only the instruments that I was interested in and in, intrigued in, but also to learn the, the genre of music that I was so passionate about and hearing on Sunday morning. Um, Elta Garrett, who is the second name of the Hamilton Garrett Music and Arts Academy, she co-founded the Music and Arts Academy um, with just four young girls, and I was actually one of them wow. in that first class. And I remember um, have, studying under her as my first music teacher, studying piano and as well as voice, and the rest was history, but it started with that program with Mrs. Garrett. That's amazing. I love that. Um, and just kind of piggybacking um, off of that a little bit, um, can you talk about a recent experience where your passion for the arts and music was reinforced mm. by an experience that you had with a student? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, the first that comes to mind um, is one of our young girls um, who was enrolled in our program, and I had the opportunity to teach her piano um, and voice as well. And she had a desire to attend my alma mater, the Boston Arts Academy, um, where I went for high school and she wanted to enroll there. And of course, with the Boston Arts Academy, you have to audition. Right. Um, and she really wanted to go and study piano. And I remember working with her on the repertoire and really tweaking and working out the techniques. And then also then after that, getting her to a place of overcoming her performance anxiety and sure. being able to really perform the piece at the best of her ability and just watching her go through all those steps really reminded me of the same journey I took mm -hmm. when I was her age at the Hamilton Garrett getting ready for my auditions to Boston Arts Academy and today she's doing extremely well she's thriving as a young female pianist and um, each time I have an opportunity to hear her perform whether it's at the Music and Arts Academy or at a student recital at Boston Arts Academy it truly um, makes me feel that the work that we're doing at the Music and Arts um, is truly impacting the next generation and it's truly rewarding to me as an educator. That's incredible. So inspiring too. Absolutely. You know, to, Absolutely. to sort of like lead that force, um, you know, in, in the lives of students. Uh, and I mean, speaking of students, the 22-23 school year is coming up. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what the enrollment or the application process is for interested students? Absolutely. Um, we have a host of programs that we're going to um, be returning to and launching new programs as well. And the application process is quite simple. Um, we encourage you to just visit our website where you will find a short inquiry form that just introduces you to us. Um, and from there, one of our staff members will reach out to you and figure out what your interest is in and get you ready to fill out the application and join us in the fall. The tuition, we always wanted to make sure that the tuition was one that is of affordability for our community members. But that includes everything, a host of classes. If you want to study more than one instrument, um, you can do so as well. Tutoring, you name it, we provided. Um, we have a wonderful staff members. Many of them are um, thriving in the music scene in Boston, professional musicians and Berkeley graduates, and they're working there, and we give the best for the high caliber 
um, formal music education to our youth. Um, but even with the tuition, if, if you feel or anyone who's um, applying it might be a bit intimidated or have some reservations because of that pricing, sure. um, no worries at all. We have a wonderful community of supporters at the Hamilton Garrett who are eager to sponsor a student and making sure that tuition is affordable for them. So, um, you know, and as someone also passionate about music, I'm wondering how it influences your day to day. Mm -hmm. um, is there a piece of music, a song, a lyric, or something that you love to start your day with? Maybe a summer song? Oh man, Mike, that is a tough question to ask a musician, as you can say <laughs> right. for yourself, um, especially because music is a part of the fabric of, of, of your everyday life, you know? Um, I would have to say, to be honest, to what I'm listening to right now, I'm still on the excitement and the hype from our end of the year concert that just recently happened, um, where you hear not only our all girls youth choir, but as well as our younger students in the Music and Arts Academy. Um, I mean, some of the songs that are coming to mind right now that I've been playing on repeat, repeat over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, Hold On, which is a spiritual of our founder, Ruth Hamilton, that she loved to sing, to um, Earth, Wind & Fire, Let's Groove, and Beautiful. That's the Way of the World. It's another favorite that was sung that night. And then also our younger kids did something really cool where they took a song that we all know, a civil rights um, anthem known as We Shall Overcome, and remixed it with Soulfage. They sang it with Soulfage, and that was remarkable. And just to be able to hear that song in that context um, with using theory was just phenomenal. So that's what I've been listening to. And hopefully, you know, I'll stop playing it over and over and over again when right. our next concert comes around. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. And what's next for, for Jeremy Groover? And what can we look forward to from the Hamilton Garrett Music Arts Academy? Yes, um, so a lot of exciting things are happening at the Hamilton Garrett. We've just um, celebrated a milestone of 20 years of service um, to the greater Boston area. And um, with that, as we looked at what we've accomplished with our flagship program, the Music and Arts Academy, the after school program for youth, we are now in a position where we can expand our reach and our offerings to the greater Boston community by expanding to the Hamilton Garrett Center for Music and Arts. So we will become a center for music and arts. Uh, where we will provide additional programming, not only for our youth, but as well as adults as well. So we will be enrolling adults. All right. Um, and we encourage youth and adults to apply via our website. Um, there's a host of programming that's going to be provided. I'm really, really looking forward to that. That's amazing. So exciting, Jeremy. And thanks again so much for taking the time out uh, to talk with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. My pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, you can stream or watch the news on demand at bnnmedia.org. Each episode will be rebroadcast at 9.30 p.m. and 11 p.m. on Xfinity Channel 9, RCN Channel 15, and Fios Channel 2161. Listen to the radio? You can hear BNN News at 6.30 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. on WBCA 102.9 FM. Thanks again for tuning in. For BNN News, I'm Faith Maffedon. I'll see you on Thursday.